Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4196 of The Bugle, the universe's leading and only source of independently verifiable fact. Sorry, I'm just hearing that that has not in fact been independently verified, so I'm afraid there are zero sources of independently verifiable fact. Uh, Sorry about that. I am Andy Zaltzman, and I'm reporting to you live from the shed of incorruptible veracity. Joining me this week on Tuesday, the 1st of June, no less, of the year 2021, uh, to bring in yet another new month. When will it end? In an all South London lineup, it's Nish Kumar and Chris Addison. Hello, Andy. Hello, Nish. Hello, Buglers. I'm very excited and because it's beautiful here, Andy. And in the 26 years of my career, this is the first time I've ever turned up to a professional engagement wearing shorts <laughs> since I stopped playing fullback for London <laughs> Irish in 2003. <laughs> yes, I'd forgotten about your illustrious rugby career. Chris. I played right, uh, right, right back. <laughs> uh, I'm very delighted to be here. And in the grandest tradition of this podcast, uh, in terms of uh, sharing terrible gig stories, I believe we have finally found the trump card because Chris Addison was oh. actually present at the gig where someone threw a bread roll at me. Yes! Chris Addison was right in, in the oh, hot seat right. at the epicentre of the chaos. I saw the parabola <laughs> described by the bread <laughs> as it made its way <laughs> nishwards. The, uh, yeah, the pelting. The, the notorious pelting uh, <laughs> of, with the, the one roll. With the, yeah, with <laughs> one roll. One roll. I, th- I yeah. didn't think that was the, the, the worst thing that happened to you on that stage. The worst thing was when the, that prick of an MC came on and just basically forced you to shake his hand. As, a, as, a, as the most passive-aggressive. The most, like, it's the least passive, passive-aggressive thing I've ever seen anybody do. It's incredible. Uh, We are recording on the 1st of June on this day in 1812. The US President James Madison asked Congress to declare war on the United Kingdom. Uh, I mean, they could have just said sorry, would have welcomed them back. Uh, The war uh, lasted until 1815 and ended in a draw. We're still waiting for the second leg and we have home advantage. Come on, GB. On the 2nd of June in the year 455, the Vandals sacked Rome. Um, They plundered the city. Uh, for two weeks, beginning on the 2nd of June. They apparently didn't destroy many buildings or kill that many people by Rome sacking standards, according to historians. Uh, people are already getting soft by the mid-5th century <laughs> AD. It's not a modern thing. But they did steal a load of furniture and probably stuffed their faces with ice cream in gelitis and got hammered in a wine bar <laughs> on the Campo de Fiori, perhaps, <laughs> which I've heard is what some people do when they go to Rome. Uh, the Visigoths uh, got it done in uh, three days in the year 410. And the Vandals stretched it out for t- two weeks, just 45 years later. Again, typical of the, uh, the declining efficiency of, of humanity as they realise <laughs> that when you're on a day rate, you might as well drag it out. Uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, a lifestyle section. The Bugle is always at the absolute cutting edge of uh, lifestyle, and we have uh, various uh, items for you to uh, to help guide you. Uh, to have a more stylish life, including you and your socks. Are you wearing your socks on the wrong feet? And how the right pair of socks can make the difference between life and death in space. Plus, are socks legal? Why your toothpaste could cause an earthquake? And are your mirrors magically recording everything you do in the eternal mind of a snooping deity? We tell you how to train your toaster. And also, my spoon hell. Celebrities share all about their worst moments with spoons, from Susan Sarandon's most harrowing salad-serving nightmares 
to Tom Hanks catapulting a canal of chicken liver parfait off a teaspoon into the Mona Lisa's face when clumsily trying to mime painting whilst eating a canapé during a gala function at the Louvre in Paris. And also in our lifestyle section, a review of the latest lifestyle products, including the Ego Castle Personal Safety Moat, an inflatable 1.5-metre moat that not only keeps your personal space but is also COVID-safe, and the Thermotics Fire Shoe, a charcoal fueled thermal footwear with inbuilt hypercost in the platform to keep your feet both warm and trendy in winter. That section is in the bin. Top story this week, and, well, we're recording on Tuesday. This is really top story from last week, and uh, last week was yet another week in which uh, passers-by reported seeing a single salt tear slowly dripping down the withering, haggard, guilt-ridden face of British democracy. Dominic Cummings, the former special advisor to Prime Minister Boris Johnson, sat before the House of Commons Health, Science and Technology Committees, swore the hypocritic oath and let it rip. Uh, into uh, the Johnson government and his part in it. Now, I know you are both huge fans of the Machiavellian goings on of Westminster. What did uh, what did you both uh, what did you both make of it? Well, I, I mean, I think I speak for everybody in our industry, Andy, when I say it was just great to see live performance back. Um, <laughs> and uh, this was a this was a hell of a way to do it. This was very much the Beyonce at Glastonbury of select committee hearings. This is <laughs> this is the one the fans wanted to see. Obviously, last year there was a. That outdoor promenade show in the Rose Garden at number 10 and the brief <laughs> regional tour of the Northeast. But like the rest of us, Don was clearly itching to get back into a proper performance space. Sure, as with many of the other great comedy characters of our time, there will always be a section of the audience asking, why does it have to be so sweary? But that's just the truth <laughs> of that character. And boy, did he spend quite a long time telling us his truth. Sporting his traditional look of one of the aliens from Close Encounters has scored a sponsorship deal with Uniqlo, he sat and gesticulated like Jurgen Klopp with a wasting disease as he spent seven hours detailing governmental failures over COVID. Seven hours, Andrew, which begs the yes. question, why did he leave so much out? <laughs> and also, a seven-hour chat slagging off the government, that to me, that he could easily have done that whilst watching a day of uh, cricket. Yeah. And I don't know why that wasn't factored in to make it more palatable. Every so often just wandered off to queue for beer, <laughs> come back, had another moan. Yep. I was absolutely outraged that he, because he did swear at one point he was uh, relaying an anecdote um, about relating to Helen McNamara, who was the then Deputy Cabinet Secretary, who, who according to Cummings, uh, came into the Prime Minister's office to tell us that we were all absolutely fucked. And he was allowed to say <laughs> the F word on television at 10.30am. But when I pitched the character of Derek it was unsuitable for broadcast at any time. This is an outrage. And don't even f***ing start with the fact that that has almost certainly been bleeped by f***ing Chris Skinner. This is censorship. He did. Well, actually, Chris, Chris, Chris himself has been censored this week. We have, we have Ross producing Q Ross. this week. So. <laughs> don't you dare censor Derek. <laughs> and for clarity, that is the worst swear word that I've just been dropping at the after, after Derek. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there was this you know question of you know, whether you believe this was all yeah. truth. Um, I mean, I would say it was gospel truth for me from yeah. what Dominic Cummings said. In that, some people won't believe a word of it. Uh, some people will believe it is a hundred percent literal fact, <laughs> and others will believe it's got a few vague facts in it, but it's mostly spin just to make the main character look good. <laughs> uh, and I do come with that from a atheist, second generation, lapsed Jewish <laughs> angle. But 
People said, oh, this is just another Westminster bubble thing. But surely in this case, the Westminster bubble burst like a festering sore and splattered strangely coloured pus over the entire nation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to view it as a Westminster bubble thing when the Prime Minister's former chief advisor was asked directly if the Prime Minister was a fit and proper person to lead the country through the pandemic and said advisor simply replied, no. And he then went on to apologise to the public and say that they fell disastrously short of the standards that the public has a right to expect of its government in a crisis like this. And then Cummings tried to push the line that somehow this was all our fault in an oblique way, because he said in any sensible, (laughs) rational government, it is completely crazy that I should have been in such a senior position, in my personal opinion. And I guess the obvious conclusion would be, that everything in our politics is rotten from top to bottom. But that doesn't mean, just because it's such an obvious conclusion, doesn't necessarily mean that it's correct. However, on this occasion, it is correct. Uh, So well done uh, to the obvious conclusion for having the courage once and for all to stand up for itself. It's not a cop drama, uh, after all. The basic summation of what Cummings said is everything we all thought was true was actually true. Uh, Boris Johnson didn't take the pandemic seriously enough initially. And then even after the first wave, even after he caught it and seemingly in an incredibly serious way, didn't take it seriously enough again when the second wave hit in September, October and didn't give in uh, to scientific advice that he should call a circuit breaker lockdown in October. And that really fits in with everything that we know about Boris Johnson, a man whose personality is basically what would have happened if the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future had turned up to Scrooge's bedroom, but he was out shagging. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Cummins also said that in in terms of the reaction to the early stages of uh, of the uh, the pandemic um he said that lots of key people were literally skiing um which i didn't have a problem with that sure that's good practice to be literally skiing for when things then metaphorically went downhill <laughs> very far um and uh, he added that johnson was distracted at the start of the pandemic by hang on i've got the full list here uh, his divorce, his engagement, by Carrie Simmons' pregnancy, by his new doggy, by Donald Trump, by what the papers had written about him, what the papers were going to write about him, his own finances, by writing a book about William Shakespeare, learning the Macarena, a box set of classic episodes of the TV detective show Bergerac, what happened to Amelia Earhart, by finishing a 1986 World Cup Panini sticker album, and by why Michael Gove still had that strange glint in his eye, also distracted by the cold-hearted verdict of history, one slice of watermelon and one green leaf, and then he felt... Much, much better. So it appears that he wasn't entirely focused on the task in hand. And in many ways, maybe that's a good thing. I mean, do you actually want a Boris Johnson who is focused on the job? And wouldn't that not be worse? <laughs> it's, it's much the best thing that they were all skiing. The, the bad part was when they all came back from skiing. That was, that was when it all started to unravel for us. He really went for Matt Hancock. Uh, oh, yeah, coming, didn't he? I was, um, I was in WH Smith this week. Uh, looking for a copy. All of, right, big you, shot. I'll ooh, flash ooh, it about. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I've got the cash. I got. I, I got a voucher. I've got a voucher for a big, big bar of dairy milk, free with my Daily Mail. I was in. Uh, I was in Smith this week. No, I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for a socially distanced version of Hello Magazine called Hello Magazine. Uh, when I, uh, I happened to notice May's issue of Entitled Thicky Monthly, and just under a picture of cover star Nadine Dorries holding a book upside down, were the words "This month's quiz: Are you Matt Hancock?" So just to check, I, I bought it. Let me let me read it to you. Okay. Question one. 
You find yourself in Boris Johnson's office in number 10 Downing Street. Opposite you is a talking haystack in an ill-fitting suit with jizz stains by the half-open flies. It asks you if you want to be Secretary of State for the Department of Health. Do you, A, politely decline on the grounds that there may be others better suited to the position since you yourself have the intellectual chops of a turnip with a face drawn on, or B, jump at the chance in the deluded hope that the power you will wield might in some way fill the insatiable black hole in your soul that you first noticed when Emma Swinton, who you'd fancied since year seven, laughed at the Fresh Prince haircut you just got because she once said she thought Will Smith was hot. (laughs) Question two. There is a global pandemic. You, a man no one in their right mind would trust to be able to spell PPE, let alone arrange billions of items of it, have to arrange billions of items of PPE. Who do you contact? A, a company which has made surgical items for the past seven decades and supplies many of the largest hospitals in the West. Or B, some guy called Marco you met on Hugo Stagdu, who's really hilarious and provided the nurse's costume you made the groom go on a pub crawl in, who will respond to your WhatsApp offer of a contract with a dick pick captioned get it up your bum boy three lorry loads of sainsbury's handle tie bin bags and an invoice for 180 million pounds and question three 127,000 people are dead do you resign a yes or b of course not shame is for catholics and pussies if you answered mainly a congratulations you're not matt hancock if you answered mainly b commiserations you are matt hancock please ask the person who helped you read this to explain to you that eventually the shit is going to hit the fan bounce off the fan and get stuck between two pieces of bread. And when that happens, someone is going to have to choke down that foot-long turd sub and smile. (laughs) Stack up on condiments, Matt, because that someone is you. Um, it's time for another quiz now, oh, um, relating to this. Uh, we can never have too many quizzes in the show. You've really got um, a taste for hosting quizzes, Zoltz. Uh, well, you know, born to do it. Um, uh, Bob Dylan, the uh, pop star, turned uh, 80. <laughs> That's the best description Monday. of Bob Dylan I've ever heard. <laughs> the, uh, the renowned songsmith was greeted with a wave of goodwill from his uh, many admirers around the world. But let's see how long that lasts. He's in, he's in his 80s now. Just wait until he swaps his acoustic walking frame for an electric mobility scooter. It'll be Judas all over again. <laughs> Scoot f***ing fast. Um, so uh, Dylan turned 80 and Dominic Cummings outlined at least 80 ways in which the British political system is deeply inadequate. So to commemorate these two historic moments, we have a special free bonus complimentary bugle quiz. Dylan or Cummings? <laughs> uh, one is the title of a Bob Dylan song and the other is something Dominic Cummings uh, said or suggested in his select committee uh, evidence. This is uh, an extended version of a thing that was uh, edited to the bones uh, for last week's uh, news quiz. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Andy, I will not have you turn this podcast into a dumping ground for stuff from other shows. Yeah. You're basically Lenny so, Bruce reading out a charge sheet at this point. One, uh, <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't believe it, but I'd written too much stuff for, for the radio show. Unbelievable. So tell me, which of these, you can do this at home, write down on a bit of paper. Uh, one is a Dylan song. The other is something to do with Dominic Cummings' select committee testimony. You ain't going nowhere. Or you ain't supposed to be going anywhere, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Question two just like a woman, or just like a shopping trolley smashing from one side of the aisle to the other, uh, which I'll give you a clue were words used by uh, Cummings to describe Johnson's indecisive leadership in the early uh, weeks of the crisis, which slightly raises the question. Uh, 
uh, uh, who was pushing the trolley and uh, what aisle are we talking about? Are we talking about an aisle in the supermarket or the aisle in a church as Boris Johnson tries to find his latest wife? Also, um, the idea that the shopping trolley was moving suggests that at any point in this process, the wheels have been on. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, if only for once the wheels had come off. Absolutely sweet Marie or absolutely sweet FA. Uh, it ain't me, babe, or it ain't me who should have been allowed to be involved in the highest levels of government. One too many mornings or way too many warnings. The lonesome death of Hattie Carroll or the lonesome death of 40,000 care home residents due to catastrophically flawed government strategy. Um, babe. Uh, uh, you're going to make me lonesome when you go or you're going to make me vengeful when you sack me. Um don't think twice it's all right, or don't think at all. It will only upset you to realise the parody of our supposed democratic ideal that we've become. Idiot wind, or idiot secretary of state for health. Uh, stu- stuck inside of Mobile with the Memphis Blues again, or stuck inside Immobile with the kids and booze again. Uh, if you see her, say hello, or if you see her, tell her I'm terribly sorry about the avoidable death of her grandparents. Um, I threw it all away, or I kept written and photographic records of everything. Or sooner or later, one of us must know, or actually we both know, and we're going to tell vastly different versions of the same story. So there is your (laughs) Dylan or Cummings uh, quiz. Do send your answers on a postcard to anyone who gives a shit. Um, uh, In other Boris Johnson news, um, he's got married um uh, again um i don't know what you put on a a, a, a wedding card to to uh, someone on was it number 3 better luck this time or um, <laughs> you know, third time lucky uh it was a low key um private strip back wedding that got rid of many of the traditional features of weddings such as uh, even trying to mean what you say in your vows and um and of course there, there was a lot of catholics who expressed confusion about about how boris johnson <laughs> The, the famously twice-divorced Boris Johnson was allowed to get married in Westminster Cathedral, the number one-ranked Catholic church <laughs> in, in the country. I mean, is, is there uh, any argument for this other than the fact that uh, obviously God doesn't exist? <laughs> I mean, it, if he has re-embraced his Catholicism, God help the uh, priest that takes his first confession, because that is going to be one long mother... <laughs> That's going to be way longer than seven hours. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, I think the Catholic Church have got previous on on, uh, changing their mind about heads of state of Great Britain uh, getting married or not. Uh, It didn't work out so brilliantly for them last time around, so maybe they're just trying to, you know, be a bit bit cannier this time, don't you think? Only only 30 people were able to be present at the wedding, which is very sad because it means a number of his kids had to miss out. Uh, Some of his children who were there included his 13-year-old son, His Honour Justice Saddleworth, his 8-year-old son, His Honour Justice Bentley, and his 5-year-old daughter, His Honour Justice Wolf. They aren't actually members of the legal profession, but it's Johnson family tradition to name each child after the judge who gave Boris the super injunction to prevent reporting of the pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you you hear the the, um, BBC coverage of it, of this wedding? Uh, I've avoided it. At okay, all costs. let me. I, I recorded it on my phone. Hello, welcome to Springwatch. Listen, let's go straight to our Westminster Cathedral camera now because the Boris Johnson we've been watching there looks like it's about ready to go into its mating ritual. 
There it is standing uh, with its mate. And interestingly, the Boris Johnson does not mate for life. It says that it's going to. That's how it gets the mates. But it doesn't. Oh, look, it's, it's all starting. Look, look. Do you, Alexander Boris the Fethel Johnson, take this woman, Carrie Alexandra de Fethel Simmons, to be your lawful wedded third wife? Well, Mr. Speaker, this is exactly the kind of, 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 of hereditary, peremptory question we have come to expect from the leader of the opposition. But do you take her to, to be your wife? Well, as I have stated repeatedly in the past, I, 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 I fully intend uh, to, to, to take uh, and, and uh, to make uh, this woman just, just as soon as the data uh, uh, says that it, it, that, it, that it is safe to do so. Could I have the next slide, please? I now pronounce you man and wife. So here we go. Look, look, look at that. You can see that. Look, you see? His mating partner has just gone in for the kiss and... He's pulled down his flies and he's chasing the bridesmaid all round the cathedral. Isn't that beautiful? It's so rare that you get to witness something like that. We'll be keeping an eye on that mating ritual and we'll go straight back to that camera uh, just as soon as one of the runners has wiped the jizz off. He's had a busy, uh, busy couple of weeks, Johnson, because he wasn't just getting married and uh, having his uh, entire government trashed by his former ally. Uh, it was also a, a report into Islamophobia in the uh, the Tory party. Oh, yeah. Um, the report either did or did not show there was institutionalised Islamophobia in the Conservative Party, depending on whether or not you're in the Conservative Party. Uh, Boris Johnson issued a trademark apology or crapology, in which he didn't really apologise. He said, I know that offence has been taken at the things I've said. <laughs> That people expect a person in my position to get things right, but in journalism, you need to use language freely. No, you, that is not what journalism is. You need to do your research and use facts. You need to use language precisely, you fucking idiot. Um, he also said, Would I use some of the offending language from my past writings today? Now that I'm Prime Minister, I would not. Well, I mean, that sounds like it is due a comeback as soon as those particular shackles are off. And he said, sorry for any offence taken, which is emphatically not saying sorry for calling people pickaninnies or the letterboxes thing. That's like being kind of sorry for you know upsetting you when you thought your granny had married Stalin rather than saying sorry for drawing a Stalin moustache with an indelible marker pen on that picture of your granddad. It's a homeopathic apology. There is the memory of an apology somewhere in the sentence. If you take the text of his apology and you look down the left side, you notice that the first letters of all the words spell f*** you. <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of apology. Even back in March, when the sort of first stirrings of an Indian variant were starting to be of concern, the press was not focused on... It, large sections of the press were focused on me Losing my job on the BBC. Well, to them, you in March. You are March, the Indian the parent. Used, That's yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the only concern. I I am the Indian variant that large sections of the British media were worried about earlier in this year, when they should have been worried about the Indian variant that is now possibly going to drive us into lockdown three, the lockdowning. Yeah. 
and the one that will be some sort of uh, new bowling technique that will <laughs> hit us later in the summer. <laughs> Belarus updates. Uh, well, uh, Belarus, once again, not to be confused with Bella R Us, uh, the offshoot of the Toys R Us franchise, specialising in merchandise and memorabilia themed around the life and music of the great Hungarian composer Bella Bartok. Um, we report on this in a world-exclusive scoop. We won't tell you how we got it. A good journalist always protects uh, their source. Okay, well, since you asked, we heard about it from the telly and the internet. <laughs> Uh, by happy coincidence for the obsessive aeroplane collector Lukashenko, whose latest acquisition contained dissident journalist Roman Protasevich and his partner Sofia uh, Sapega, who have since been, well, paraded on television uh, in uh, a coercedly filmed confession, which is not a good look, really, is it, when you're you know, trying to project you know, democracy and uh, rectitude to the world, which is emphatically what Lukashenko is not trying to do. Well, I, do you know what? I know this is not not popular, but in many ways, I feel this is uh, Roman Protasevich's own fault, right? Sure, he's a heroic figure who spent all the years of his short life fighting bravely to free his fellow countrymen from the tyranny of Europe's last dictator, but he's 26. I remember my <laughs> 20s just about, and I can't believe he's got the energy. I mean, you have a lot of energy when you're that young, but you spend most of it, if I recall correctly, judging bars on whether or not they sell cocktails by the jug, screaming in impotent <laughs> fury at mortgage adverts on the telly, doing everything you can to get out of headlining the student union comedy night at Kingston University, spending 13% <laughs> of your life drunk on the night bus and spending 78% of that time saying you're never getting a night bus again. You save trying to overthrow dictators until your 30s when all your friends are having babies and you're at a loose end because no one wants to go to karaoke with you anymore. He just <laughs> walked into it. The uh, UN Civil Aviation Agency has said it's going to launch a fact-finding investigation. Great into Lukashenko's actions, asking if there was a breach of international aviation law. Let me save them a job here. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I call in a bomb threat on a plane because I have a beef with one of the passengers, I'm going straight to Guantanamo faster than you can say the phrase civil aviation authority. <laughs> He's not been without his apologists. Uh, he has been defended by, can you guess? Uh, That's right. Putin? Vladimir Putin. Yes. Yeah, Vladimir Putin. Hole in one, hole in one, Addison. Oh. Uh, he, um, <laughs> Putin was, was in talks <laughs> in Sochi with Lukashenko this week and described the uh, protests that have been happening uh, across parts of Eastern Europe at what Lukashenko has been up to as an outpouring of emotion, which is, that is not a correct way to characterise protests about <laughs> a world leader forcing a plane to land so that they could grab a dissident. That is describing the audience at the end of a Pixar movie. Also, at this point, <laughs> Vladimir Putin <laughs> is effectively the Johnny Cochran of white people. If you ha if he is defending you, there is a chance you are going to look guilty as f Michael O'Leary, you know him? Who runs Ryanair? Indeed, I do. Called it piracy. <laughs> how, how bad does something have to be before the head of Ryanair thinks it's a bit much that's like Henry VIII accusing someone of having commitment issues or George Galloway telling somebody they look ridiculous in that hat I've, I've flown on Ryanair I've, uh, I've experienced what Michael O'Leary deems to be seats yeah unbelievable can I sit down for an extra fiver sure sure yeah yeah sure man Middle East news now, and, uh, well, it's all going fine. Um, yeah, I don't know what everyone's problem with it is. Uh, well, so, some interesting news uh, breaking. Um, uh, for a long time, the leader writers of The Bugle, this esteemed audio newspaper, have taken the view that uh, 
The time when Benjamin Netanyahu was no longer Prime Minister of Israel could not come soon enough. Well, as the old saying goes, better a rancid ferret in your lunchbox than a feral warthog in your bed. Uh, because, careful uh, what you wish for, uh, it could be the end of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu after his 12 years uh, as Prime Minister and uh, numerous court cases. Um, that, that might not be uh, good news. Hold fire on your Benjamin Net and Wahoo headlines. Um because, well, let me put it this way. Let me, let me do this as an either-or question uh, for you both. What type of leader would you most like to see take over Israel at this hyper-delicate point in the perma-fragile history of the Middle East? A, a moderate bridge-building reformer committed to a shared peace and progress, or B, a far-right religious nationalist? Well, I mean, uh, my, my heart says A, but uh, due to bad genetics, my heart is quite literally full of shit. Yes, well, it does look like it's going to be. Uh, it is going to be. Uh, be Naftali Bennett looks set to form a, a coalition. As Mick Jagger said, you can't always get what you want, but if the wrong people try, you can get what you absolutely don't need. It's he uh, <laughs> Bennett is uh, uh, left the Likud party uh, and joined the uh, Jewish Home Party, uh, a party that BBC News described as right-wing, nationalist, and religious, which is as bad a combination of words as. Malcolm X biopic starring Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) (laughs) More democracy going really well news now. And uh, the US Republican Party has officially resigned from politics and changed its official designation uh, for tax purposes from political party to loony nutjob pressure group um, after uh, stymieing uh, efforts to set up an independent inquiry into the January 6th Capitol riot that marked the last days of the Trumpian empire in suitably shitheaded fashion. Um, I mean... The Republicans are a strange franchise. They're a hard franchise to <laughs> to warm to as a neutral, increasingly. Yes, I find, and they're sort of clinging to Trump, like a smoker sticking with his sixty a day habit because someone's told him it's a cure for cancer. It's been a terrific week, I think, Andy, for the party, now officially to be known as the Republicans uh, <laughs> under the leadership of Mitch McConnell. What a guy that guy is. Ambition, ambition, f***ed spite, and he was born. Mitch McConnell is what happens when the clown in It takes his makeup off. Mitch McConnell is what happens when a turtle has an evil twin. Mitch McConnell is what happens when you put a Mr. Potato Head in the microwave and then it gets accidentally cursed by a witch. The GOP, or gaggle of pricks, prevented a commission on the January 6th Sixth attack on the Capitol being convened, which would have been modelled on the commission which looked into the September the 11th attacks. But quite rightly, the Republicans have pointed out that those were terrorist in nature. And in present day America, breaking into the seat of the nation's government, dressed in bulletproof vests, carrying guns and bag ties, hell bent on lynching the vice president and the speaker of the House of Representatives, doesn't quite qualify as terrorist activity. So I thought it would be useful at this juncture just to have a, a look at what does qualify right now. So here is a comprehensive list of everything considered legitimate terrorist act in contemporary America. Not knowing the words to take me out to the ball game. Suggesting Bradley (laughs) Cooper was miscast in A Star is Born. Shitting in the water of the Splash Mountain ride at Disneyland. Serving a salad that comes in at under 1,200 calories. Designing a decent (laughs) f***ing airport. Pouring (laughs) boiling water on tea rather than leaving a bag next to a mug of lukewarm water and just, I don't know, hoping. Not liking (laughs) Hamilton. Putting day, month and year in a logical order being black within 200 yards of a police officer. That is the lot. Beyond that, go for your life. It's a fairly incredible situation that America could be in. A country that trumpets its democratic system as being full of checks and balances, 
that I would say has now got to a point where there is an excess of checks and balances because there's so many checks and balances that the, a political party can check and balance itself against being investigated. <laughs> that is where yeah. the system of checks and balances has gone too far. The uh, Republican Senate has voted against the investigation into the January 6th commission and won despite losing the vote 54 to 35 because <laughs> of the arcane voting system in the Senate. Uh, in further Trump news, uh, two men were kicked out of the Yankee Stadium in New York after uh, hanging from uh, one of the upper tiers a massive banner saying uh, Trump won. And there was a, a photo uh, on, on the article uh, on the website that showed the pair dangling this impressively large and impressively factually incorrect banner. Uh, whilst below them, a man flipped them a double bird whilst wearing a shirt with the word judge on the back, which I think if you had to summarise the history of the 2020 election in one single picture, I think that this, this, this would be it. This would be it. I felt that um, it, seems, it seemed to me that the crowd at Yankee Stadium will pick and choose which big lighter boo, don't you think? Like they're happy to jeer at a banner saying Trump won, and they're also happy to tell you that Alex Rodriguez could do all that stuff without performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> Pick a lane, Yankees. <laughs> it's pretty weird to be in Yankee Stadium and be celebrating a man who basically was rooting for the other side in the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. Humanity versus mice news now, and I love the smell of napalm in the morning, especially when I've been up all night listening to the sound of mice scuttling around under the floorboards. <laughs> it's napalm the mice time in Australia. A, a horrific plague of mice has uh, struck parts of Australia, and for those of you who've not seen the footage, it basically looked like Beatrix Potter was let loose with some CGI special effects after five bottles of cheap schnapps. It's absolutely... <laughs> horrific quantity and it's amazing isn't it that you know the, the traditional australian natural terrors that you put in ascending order of dangerousness you know the crocodile the shark the box jellyfish the unnecessarily deadly snake i mean what the f is the point of having enough felon to get, kill 100 people in one bite the uh tyrannosaurus koala the saber-toothed platypus uh glenn mcgrath and that tiny little spider they've now all been overtaken by the mouse um and, I mean, I guess, you know, in Britain we like to root for the underdog, root for the little guy, so we should be cheering the mice on, I guess. But, uh, that, yeah, it doesn't sit well with me. I'm not a mice fan. <laughs> no, well, you know, as you as you uh, refer there, once again, like, we find that Australia has a very weirdly specific set of skills and failures uh, when it comes to <laughs> dealing with animals. Like, great big terrifying things, no problem. Crocodiles, easy. They're just shoes I've not worn yet. Box jellyfish, <laughs> get your speedos, mate. We're going surfing. Redback spider, see if you can find me another, then I can give them to me ma as a pair of earrings. But rabbits, build a fucking fence. Mice, struth, I'm losing my shit here. Yet again, <laughs> the people of Australia seem genuinely staggered by the idea that if you introduce a non-Indigenous animal which hasn't evolved to take a carefully balanced place in the local ecosystem, it is likely to run amok and take over in a fairly unhelpful way like a Nazi party planner at a bar mitzvah. And when I say <laughs> the people of Australia, I mean the white people of Australia. The original <laughs> inhabitants are very au fait with the idea that if you let in a bunch of things from Britain, it's not going to go terribly well for the ones that are already there. <laughs> the same thing happened to the Maoris of New Zealand, the tribes of South Africa, and the hosts of late-night talk shows in America. I, I didn't realise that this is like something that happens semi-regularly in Australia. Yeah. Just sort of every eight or nine years 
there's an there's a plague of mice in some part of Australia. I didn't realise it was part of one of the many grand traditions of Australia, like being good at sport or <laughs> racism. It's it's genuinely amazing, and they've they were estimated to have caused a hundred million dollars in damage to crops and grain stores, and people setting traps are catching between five hundred and six hundred mice per night. At what point? Do we just have to declare Australia as being a mouse republic? <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of this week's uh, this week's bugle. Uh, a joyous week for all humanity, I'm sure you will agree. Um, thanks very much for uh, coming on. Have you got any shows to uh, to plug? I am touring uh, next year from Wednesday, the second of February, 2022, uh, for uh, a period of time that is Googleable. <laughs> um, so please buy tickets and I also have two albums of me doing stand-up comedy that are available on the internet good uh, that's, that cuts out all white men over 40 from your from being able to access any of that information <laughs> <and stuff. laughs> sure that's the way you should be telling it um, uh, <laughs> my show Breeders uh, is on the new series is on Sky now every there's an episode out every Thursday at 10 I think but you can watch the whole thing and the first season uh, on Catch Up On Sky or on Now TV which has changed its name to Now for reasons that entirely escape me <laughs> you can hear this current series of the news quiz uh, on the BBC website and at the last episode is coming up later this week and if you're a cricket fan I will be talking numbers from uh, Wednesday morning this week for a lot of the summer. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with The Bugle, which is currently migrating day by day from the start of the week to the end. We recorded Monday last week, Tuesday this week. We're going for a Wednesday, then a Thursday, then a Friday record and what I believe may be a podcasting first. Um, but we will be back uh, next week. Until then, goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.